0: Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different people come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. This season, we are talking about the book of Habakkuk and what it looks like to practice faithful, unconditional wrestling with God. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining my co-host Aaron and me in conversation today are Scott and Aaron Kirchhoff. So, Aaron, I want you to start us off by telling us a little bit about how you and Scott met and decided to get married.
1: Well, Scott and I met uh, because we were living across the street from each other, and I called him "cute neighbor" to okay. my roommate. <laughs> okay, and that is um, that is how I described him. And he ended up we ended up just meeting as neighbors. And there were a group of people that would come to my house to watch a TV show called 24 and okay. a bunch of guys and girls from um, actually from church that would all get together. So he showed up one day to watch it with all of us. And then he started hanging around and my roommate actually invited him to church. He was actively seeking at the time, but not a Christian. And so he was getting to know everyone here at First Pres, And I,
0: that's, that's how we met. Okay, so cute neighbor. Came over to Watch 24, your roommate invited him to church, that's how you met, and so then how did you move from that to getting married? Well,
1: that's a very long story as a cute neighbor, and I did not date for quite some time. And then once we started dating, it was two years before we got married. Um, We dated for about a year and a half before we got engaged. It, which is actually really funny because before Scott was even a Christian, he was attending a um, Sunday school. When we were talking about Christian dating, taught by your husband.
0: Oh, good. Okay, <laughs> mine. What did he say?
1: <laughs> you might have to ask Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, I, I mean, how did we? How did we get married?
2: Well, we loved each other. I mean,
1: we <laughs> Scott, we hung out enough. We really
2: liked each other. We loved each other, and you know. And then, you know, you just get to a point, you're like, I don't want to leave you every night and have Mm -hmm. you go to your place and I go to mine. So, you know, it's time to get married. So
0: let's not be neighbors anymore. Let's not be
2: neighbors anymore.
0: Mm -hmm. We've been asking couples that come on the podcast and are talking about a book of the Bible with us to tell our listeners a little bit about how they study, read the Bible together or how they talk about it. So what does that look like for y'all? For us, right
2: after we got married, we dove into one couple study after another, because once you're a couple, people want you to be part of the couple study, which was fantastic. So, cause I've never done one of those before. And so we dove into those, we did probably four or five in a row over a couple years. And, um, so that's how we initially had a lot of conversations about the Bible and what it said and how we apply it to our marriage. And then we just kind of reached the point where like, I'm, we missed The women's Bible studies, the men's Bible studies, there was more accountability and more discussion about being a a woman of God and a man of God. So probably for about 10 or 12 years, that's what we did. We kind of did separate Bible studies with each other, but we would talk about what we were studying, each one of those. So we would have those conversations. And still to this day, we do that. We don't have a couple study that we attend, but we do pray for each other consistently and we pray for each other as
0: well.
1: We also do some uh, family devotions with our son. And so in the mornings we, we all read scripture together.
0: Well, I would like to hear in the unique ways folks do it. There's not just one set way that you have to do it, but especially as you find it applying, interacting to your own lives, and you want to share that with each other, just to have somebody to talk those things through with that's interested in doing that in the same way is is a, is a gift in marriage. We're going to move on to our first things first question. We always do this at the beginning of the podcast and you're going to answer the question and you're also going to give a short bio on yourself, just a little bit more information than we already have had. So the first things first question is Who was the first friend you made in college? And Aaron, you get to kick us off.
1: Okay. Um, well, I'm Aaron Kirchhoff and I grew up here in Augusta and I have been back here for a lot of years. When I worked full-time, I had a couple different vocations. One was um, full-time youth ministry and then marketing and communications. And now I mostly stay home and do some volunteer work, that type of thing. My first friend in college, I actually knew my roommate going in, so that was helpful. And I met so many friends that first week, it was hard for me to think of just one, But I thought of a meaningful friendship in college. And that was there was a girl who was a year older than me, who kind of took me under her wing and made sure I felt included in stuff in my hall. And um, my hall was full of a lot of really athletic um, girls and people that played sports in high school. And I do not have any hand eye coordination. <laughs> but she convince me to be part of our intramural basketball team, which is hilarious if you've ever seen me play basketball. And part of how she did it is convinced me I would not actually have to play, um, <laughs> just be part of the team. Uh, but it was really sweet that she included me and we did when we were intramural champions for multiple years.
0: That's awesome. And did yes. you play?
1: Well, there were times when we did not have enough people and I would go stand on the court to make us have the correct number of people and had to communicate to everyone how important it was that they'd not pass to me. <laughs>
0: I think both of those things communicate a lot about you, Erin, because on one hand, when you said that you met somebody that took you under her wing, that is something that you are known for doing as well. Just even thinking now your interaction, when you said you volunteer, you volunteer a lot just in getting in people's lives and young girls' lives and encouraging them and walking alongside of them. So obviously that made an impact on you. And then the fact that you would stick with a team for that many years just for the relational component when all you're (laughs) doing is standing out there, that says something about you. And then I wish the listeners could have seen Scott's face when you were saying, if you could only see me play basketball, he had his eyes all squinched up like, don't look, don't look. <laughs> it's cute. It's cute. All right, Scott, what about you?
2: Yeah. So my name is Scott Kirchhoff. I'm a chemical engineer by degree. And I've worked in chemical manufacturing for over 25 years. Um, so I definitely approach things through a very scientific, technical point of view. Probably explains why it took me a very long time to be a Christian in this world. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, you know, who I am on the, the work side in college. So I went to a college not close to where I lived. And so I didn't know anyone when I went there and did not know my roommate did not know anyone on my dorm floor uh, when I arrived, and thankfully, I ended up having a great roommate. His name was Tom Carr, and we couldn't have been more opposite from each other. He was uh, a farm boy from northern Iowa, very outgoing, very personable, uh, kind of a little crazy, and I was very shy, very reserved um, from Nebraska, And uh, but we got along just really well. Played a lot of sports together. We our, we hung out, uh, played a lot of cards and other things. And just over four years, we grew very close. And uh, so he was definitely my first best friend in college um, pretty much throughout. So
0: I love those stories. With my oldest just going off to college, I, I keep my hopes up for those type of sweet friendships. Yeah, yeah. And so you know how to play basketball? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we are very opposite in that realm. You're from yes. the Midwest. You got to know how to play basketball. Yeah.
2: So all sports, and Erin does no sports.
0: Yeah. She's a cheerleader. I was about
3: to say, I feel like you, you're you giving some cheerleader vibes. I did, and I, I rode on crew for like one
1: season. There you go. You've got that. I'm athletic. athletic. Yes. I'm just not coordinated. Okay. That is, I
3: like that. There's
0: a difference. I as I tell my boys, there's different types of athleticism <laughs> when they try to make true. fun of me. So y'all have been married for how long, and how old is TJ, your son?
1: 14 years. Okay. Almost. Um, In a couple of weeks. And then uh, TJ is 11.
0: Okay. And he makes waffles, listeners. Today, before school, he made waffles and cleaned them up. And cleaned up. He is a star child. All right, Erin, tell us about your first friend in college. You know,
3: Erin, I'm kind of like you. I didn't remember, like, the first, like... When you go to a big university, it is just kind of a deluge of friends, like, you know, little at least acquaintances being formed. But my first memorable friendship, the one that's just sticking with me, Dally Hubbard, I think we had an English class together and she shows up with purple hair before purple hair was really a thing. And I think, you know, you had to swap your paper. Like you wrote a paper, you swap it, and you do your little grading or whatever. So we were chit-chatting after class. And just, I think she was like going to get coffee. I don't even remember. Same kind of thing. Just making you feel included. And we hit it off. And we just had some fun, ridiculous times through college. So just a lighthearted friendship. And I've occasionally texted her just even through my adulthood. But it's not somebody I keep up with very regularly now. But, yeah, just a fun, fun friendship.
0: I'm liking that the people that you met first were some of the people, or close to first anyway, or some of the people that you stayed friends with the longest and sweet. Well, I went from small town, Upland, Indiana, out to Estes Park, Colorado. It was about a 20-ish, 22-hour drive. I did not know a soul. It was a small little Bible school, like Almost more like a gap year where really all we were doing was studying the Bible before I moved on to a different school. And so I remember driving in there and thinking, I'm going to love this place, even if I don't meet a soul, because I love the mountains the first time I was in them. But my first roommate, her name was Renee, and she just she was easy to like. She had a big laugh and a kind heart. And so she immediately put me at ease. And we had a third roommate with us, and her name was Anya. And she was older than both of us because you could do this sort of gap year program at any time in life. And she was very serious and very sober. And so while it felt comfortable to be around Renee, Anya was a bit of a curiosity to me. But after living with them both, I learned things about Anya that led me to respect and appreciate her in ways that I didn't anticipate. And today in Habakkuk, we're going to see God answer Habakkuk's complaint to him in a way that Habakkuk just won't be able to quite appreciate yet. Uh, kind of like I couldn't appreciate my roommate, Habakkuk doesn't understand who God is showing himself to be in this moment. Habakkuk doesn't want God's answer. He doesn't expect it. But eventually, he will come to appreciate God himself in deeper ways than he could have expected. If you've been listening along, we're on our third episode. We've talked about the overview of Habakkuk. And last week, we talked about Habakkuk's first complaint to God. Habakkuk does follow a pattern. Habakkuk complains, God answers. Habakkuk complains again. About God's answer and God answers Habakkuk and eventually Habakkuk is led to worshipful prayer. So we've talked about Habakkuk's first complaint and today we're talking about God's first answer. The crux of Habakkuk's first complaint is God, why do you make me see iniquity? At that time Habakkuk was living in a culture, in a nation, God's people, but they had pulled away from their covenant roots. They had devolved into all sorts of various evils. The result was just, there was violence, there was strife. Habakkuk had been complaining about this for a while. How long, oh Lord, will you make me look at this? Why aren't you doing something for the people that you say you love? You say you're bringing salvation from these from these people, but all I see is destruction. How long? Will you make me look at this iniquity and so god says his first response as he replies to habakkuk is look look among the nations and see what i'm going to do I'm going to do a work that you wouldn't believe, even if I told you. Let's read all of God's response together. I'm reading from Habakkuk 1, 5 through 11. And God says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So Aaron, talk to us a little bit about what God is saying here and why it's so hard for Habakkuk to hear.
3: So Habakkuk is complaining about why God allows evil to go unpunished in his homeland. So we talked about this last week, how there were evil kings in the camp and Habakkuk's not loving it. He's asking the Lord, come defend us. You said you're the defender and the rescuer. Can we make that happen? Like, let's <laughs> let's see some action here. So this week we're looking at the Lord's response to Habakkuk's first complaint. And then later, spoiler, we'll see Habakkuk's, Habakkuk is miffed again because how would a righteous God use Babylon, a wicked nation, to judge the sin in Judah? It just is not making sense. So Habakkuk has questions, and we see the Lord providing some answers. The main players we see in the text that we're looking at today, of course, we've got Habakkuk in in the background of our mind. We see the Lord, Yahweh, as Madison pointed out last week. So so we see all caps in our English version. The wicked oppressors are in the room. We're remembering that Habakkuk has named those or inferenced those as the the evil kings of Judah. But we also see that the the wicked kings of Judah aren't aren't just there, but the Lord is bringing into play the evil neighbors, the dreadful neighbors that are ready to exploit them. So I think the curiosities that we've already kind of named here are, it's just, this is a tough passage for us to look at because we struggle to have that eternal view. And we're going to name some more nuance of this later. But just when we see the Lord's judgment or the Lord's discipline in real time in a narrative like this is hard for us to make sense of His sovereignty. So we're going to dive into that today. So Scott and Erin, we want to hear from you. What particularly surprised or interested you about this passage? Yeah.
2: So for me, um, two things kind of stuck out that probably interested me is. You know, God does does not give a time frame for any of this. It could be one day, it could be a year, it could be a hundred years. He does not give any time frame for when he's going to do these things. And if they'll even save them in the end, he doesn't even get into that. For Habakkuk, I'm sure it's like, yeah, this is not good because he, he doesn't really give any specifics. And the other thing I thought was interesting, I thought of a Georgia football announcer when God was talking about the Babylonians. You know, he's talking up the Babylonians, just like a Georgia football announcer is like, Stetson Bennett is the best. These guys are the fastest. They're the strongest. And Ohio State does not have a chance. And I feel like God was talking up the Babylonians like, these guys, they are great at conquering people. They are great at
0: destroying nations. You have no chance of surviving this. He's being so honest. God is be, he's not mincing words about the power that they have yeah. and because it's the power that he's given them. You know, We That's see in other right. places in Scripture, I raise them up for my purposes, and those purposes will be accomplished. There is no escape from my discipline of you, of this nation, Habakkuk. And yet at the end, he says... They are guilty men whose own strength is their God. And I just think that's such an interesting combination that God says, I am using their strength. I have raised them up. I have given it to them. And yet they are guilty. Like At the end of the day, they will be judged. And that combination is is curious.
3: And Scott, I think our male listenership is going to go up tenfold this week (laughs) since you made the Georgia football reference. Good work. Um, but yeah, Amber, I, I totally agree. It's an invitation to trust in an all-powerful God. He's almost mocking, it seems like, the Babylonians. Like, yeah, they can do some stuff, but I'm the one who's sovereign. I'm the one who's all-powerful, and there's this invitation here. Are you going to trust in your own might, or are you going to trust in me? It's funny. When I read it,
1: it was like, here is Habakkuk, and he's pouring his heart out, and he's like, how long, Lord? This is so hard. And and it it, it kind of has this tone of God being like, you don't even know what's coming. It's going to be so much worse. And it kind of, it's the song that we listened to in Bible study this morning. I asked the Lord and, um, I actually thought of that as I was reading it this week. And I was like, it's like we come to the Lord sometimes, and we have all these these great intentions and these great questions, and he welcomes those questions. And then sometimes he comes back with this answer that we did not want. That is not what Habakkuk wanted. He did not want to hear, it's really, it's it's probably worse than you think, that mm-hmm. what's coming.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that God can use even that mm-hmm. is amazing. Um, and, and the specific passage itself it's kind of like you know where we stop there's we we know the hope is coming we know where the book is going to end but at this point it it sounds pretty bleak
0: that's right that's right and it's hard to in a 3 chapter book where you know the overview you know what's going to happen in not too long you know not too long from now it's sometimes hard to just stay in that moment and mm. and think what was it for her back to receive those words from the lord in that moment And we're going to see next week as he responds to the Lord's response to him. But the Lord even knows that. I like how he starts out saying, I'm going to tell you something that you wouldn't believe even if you're told. And next week, Habakkuk is pretty pretty much like, I don't believe that. I can't believe that. and and the Lord gets that. like I understand you don't understand. Um, but let me tell you, and he starts out with the hard news first. There's more coming, but he lets Habakkuk understand that I get it. I know I see just how hard this is and just what this means. but we're going to try to make it as applicable as we can and just talk about for your own selves have you had a time in your life when God has answered your questions or your cries for something in a way that you did not expect?
1: There are several things that come to mind immediately, but, um, one of the sweetest and hardest times of my life was, um, when my son was about three years old, um, my mom, um, who lives in town was diagnosed with lung cancer and given six months to live. And we um, mom and I had never had like a super close relationship. It was kind of strained. And um, in that time when TJ would go to Mother's Day out, then I started going over to my mom's house and spending time with her because she couldn't drive any longer. So she was given six months to live, but she lived two and a half years after um, that diagnosis and um, in that season my mom who had never really been open to spiritual things started to be open to talking with me about those things and I think first it was interesting to see my relationship with her grow and then that she was getting to uh, Toward the end, that she was asking me to do devotions with her. Mm. And um, I went toward the end and could, and my mom could clearly articulate her faith back to me. And it was really hard to see my mom that sick. It was really hard to have a small child that needed me and also be caring for my mom in really physical ways. And I was exhausted a lot. And, um, but it was such a gift that God gave me that time with her because when she passed away, I really, I believe she had a relationship with the Lord that she had not had. Mm. Um, so to think about something really, really hard that God used for my good and his glory, that is one of the most clear ways that I could, I could ever see that taking place.
2: Mm. I appreciate
1: you sharing that.
2: For me, about four years ago, I received a promotion at work. Um, It was a promotion I was really excited about. There was just a lot of great opportunity in this role to impact things within our manufacturing sites and then also to impact uh, people as well. So super excited. Um, And we were were very excited about it. We decided to pack up our life here in Augusta and move across the country. So we uprooted our life, made a lot of big changes to do this, uh, to Mm -hmm. accommodate this job. And so we move across the country, and the very first project I was given, I was super excited about it. It was going to be a really good project. But then slowly, in that first couple of weeks of it, it started really falling behind and kind of falling apart. And a lot of it was not due to anything I was doing. A lot of things were out of my control, but I'm still ultimately held accountable for the results. And so I just remember I started waking up just, just sweating and just, couldn't sleep just so anxious and nervous about this project and I started having almost panic attacks in the morning but Erin was not with me at those at that time so she had no idea that I was going through this because as a man we don't like to share our feelings and things like that so I kept this from her for a couple weeks and I mean I was just really struggling and I finally had to just tell her what's going on you know the project is behind I'm really anxious. I'm really nervous, and i'm I'm really I can't even get out of bed. Mm. And so we we just she helped me talk through that. She was very encouraging. She prayed with me on this subject every day for a couple weeks. Um, which was really helpful. And then she also says, you need to exercise more too. <laughs> that will really help you get your energy out and focus on exercise. So anyway, just it was great to share that with her and all of her help. And it really, it just told me that I need to go to God for everything. And when you go to him, go deep and ask big things and really share your feelings. Um, and when you do that, no matter what you're going through, you would just be like, I can get through this. It'll be all right. And I also rely on God for everything now. Like That was a huge turning point for me. I think I was wishy-washy for a lot of things, but I really needed to trust Him in all things, um, th- stuff I could control, stuff I couldn't control, mm. and um, also the exercise regularly. <laughs> it's a great release.
1: To be fair, we had just moved um, to a place where it rained 30 out of 31 of our first days there, and so we couldn't really get outside. and. Nothing was normal.
0: (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Well, we are talking about things that the Lord has done in our lives that were unexpected. That if we were to have scripted it, we wouldn't have asked for it, right? Uh, Hard things, and yet things that we've seen the Lord grow us through. Uh, Habakkuk's first complaint to God at the very beginning of this book is is that God seemed absent. As far as when he's complaining about all that's going on within his own people, it's almost as if God's checked out and he's just sort of letting this go on. And I've been crying out to you and there is no answer. And that's hard. When we cry out to God and we feel like we still don't hear from him, that's hard. And then sometimes where we're at now in this, we hear from God and that's hard. God's answer itself is hard. So are there things that God has said to y'all in Scripture or specific answers that the Bible gives to some of your questions that you found more troubling than God's silence? And if so, where do you go to process what troubles you? Scott, start us off.
2: Yeah, for me, um, so very early in my Christian faith, I started reading through the Bible. You know, that's one of the things you do. And as you read through the Old Testament, I mean, there's a lot of people that get killed. You know, there's a lot of murder and death and blood. And, and it's just like, wow, this is a lot. And I really struggled with that early on, especially because I didn't really understand the Bible yet. Yeah. So you read that with, through those, that lens of immaturity. And it's like, wow, you know, he could do this differently in my mind. He doesn't need to kill everybody. Let's just, you know, let's punish them and then, you know, change their ways and then send them back out. But he doesn't do that. He chooses sometimes to to kill a lot of people and punish a lot of people. So I really struggled with that. Yeah. Um, but I went to your husband, John Barrett. Okay. Um, he, he was an early uh, influence in my Chris, early Christian life. And he says, this is perfect timing. I'm leading a Bible study, walks through the entire Old Testament, and really talks through um, God's redemptive plan for us in the Old Testament. And it was just a great study and it just everything in the study pointed back to that redemptive plan and it all started making sense um at that point so you know really studying the bible more and studying it with people who are probably smarter than me at that time who understand it more maybe put more thought into it um really helped me get over that and through that and to really understand it in the end um his plan
0: Well, because it is understandably easy to get hung up in some of the hard things that are there. And, you know, you could interpret certain things in the Old Testament as this is what God prescribes, as opposed to the Bible is just being honest about what was. You know, Mm -hmm. the Lord's not condoning it, but that is what was at that time. And there's certain parts of scripture where that's the case. And there's certain parts of scripture where God does some hard things that we disagree with and we do not like. And if you don't have an overview of the whole Bible, then it's even harder to hold those. I mean, even when you do have an overview of the whole Bible, it's still hard to hold on to them sometimes, you know. And and, and I think it's okay that we recognize there's things that we are not going to understand. But we are grateful that we do have enough that we understand that we can hold these hard things by faith um, a little more easily than we could if we didn't see the grand scope of of what you're talking about. What about you, Erin?
1: I think what um, it feels very non-Presbyterian to say what I'm about to say. So be prepared. (laughs) Um, But sometimes it is hard to believe and trust in the reality that God is a sovereign God. Um, when you look around and you see hard things. I believe it. Of course, I believe it, that God is sovereign and that he is good. And the way those two things marry sometimes are hard when you look around you and things don't look like I think they should look as if I get to be in charge of anything. So when we look around and I see especially people that I know and love that that don't believe it is hard for me to say lord why 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 will you not reach down and rescue them because you can but i have to trust that god sees much much more than i do and his plan is much bigger than i understand but that is a hard truth in his word and um and it's real but he's faithful and he is good and so we can rest in that
0: well, don't you love like even as you're saying that it almost if people can see your body language it almost pains you because in one sense, you don't want to cast out on something that you believe. And yet at the same time, it's a hard thing to believe. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that there are books like Habakkuk and Job and Lamentations and many of the Psalms where it is hard for us to grasp the fullness of who God is. And he is gracious to us. He knows we're human. You know, he knows that he is God and we are not. And he does condescend to us in so many ways to allow us to grasp parts of him that otherwise we, could, we couldn't we could even come close to. And yet there's parts that remain a mystery. So he gives us words to say, this is hard for us. We don't understand this. We wouldn't do it this way. And it's, it, it hurts and it's hard. And I think sometimes we are afraid to say that we believe both in God's sovereignty and his goodness and not think that we can reconcile that in an easy way. Like we're, we're uncomfortable with the fact it, it takes ongoing thought throughout your life, uh, wrestling with the Lord, increasing full view of Scripture in order to hold those truths together.
1: And I think it's important to say that, you know, they're not Christians yet. They haven't come to trust God yet. We don't know what God's going to do before the end of time.
0: Yeah.
3: I think a lot of times we'll use the phrase that God does things for our good and his glory in the cross. I think a lot of times our theology of the cross is so weak because we do tend to squirm away from things that are hard or Mm -hmm. things that we don't understand. But when we truly see the cross as ultimately pointing to God's glory, that he is the one who defeated sin and death, that he is the one that delivers us from evil, and he is ultimately king. Then I think that that helps us work into that space to be able to get that long view of eternity, Mm -hmm. get a broader understanding of His sovereignty. Even though it is still there is still some mystery there, but I think just sitting in that moment of the cross and His Jesus resurrection is definitely going to I think help us out when we come to passages like Habakkuk.
1: I think the the verse that said, "He who did not spare His own Son, how will He not graciously?" give us all things and that just like you were saying he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice because of his love for us and so we can trust that his heart for us is good even when we don't understand his circumstances
0: well said well erin and scott thank you both for joining us today Our listeners we hope you'll join us again next week lori myers and shannon myers will be joining us to talk about habakkuk 1 12 through 17 we hope you listen in
2: Sometimes a light surprises The Christian while she sings It is the Lord who rises With healing in His wings When comforts are declining He grants the soul again A season of pure shining To cheer
3: it after the rain